0: 27 Jennifer Good morning and welcome to Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, this is Joanna Purpich along with Megan Duffy.
1: Good morning, y'all.
0: And um, welcome to Crime Talk BK. Uh, now, today we are uh, going over the, uh, is he a serial killer? I'd call him a suspected. suspected. Suspected serial killer, Robert Durst. And uh, I actually have a personal, semi-personal short story to share about Robert Durst being super weird in Houston. Yay, so, I can't wait to hear it. Uh, so get ready. Uh, now, if you have your own bizarre Robert Durst stories, because I know we have a few listeners in Texas, and of course, uh, his family is so prominent here in New York, uh, please give us a call. Uh, the number is 718 928 9732. Again, that is 718-928-9732. And I know we were having some technical difficulties last week. Uh, but it should all hopefully be working. So we just have a few announcements and um news of the week and then we can get right into our suspected <laughs> serial killer. All right, so Radio Free Brooklyn. We are a nonprofit, um, and uh, we, uh, everyone here is a volunteer. We volunteer our time. Uh, we often uh, give ourselves. And if you like what you hear, we would really appreciate it if you gave back as well. Uh, if you would like to make a donation, uh, please check out RadioFreeBrooklyn.org donate. Again, that's radiofreebrooklyn.org slash donate. And uh, at that link, you can also just learn more about us. And if you really like what you hear, you can even set up a monthly donation. Um, so please help keep us on the air and doing all the wonderful things that we do and support us financially. Give it. <laughs> all right, on for uh, news of the week. Oh, man. I'm behind
1: this week, so I'm excited for this.
0: Oh, okay, great. Uh, well, the news, as per usual, is a bit rough because we are a true crime show. <laughs> like literally today um, on the Daily News, I read about um, a high schooler who got who was like previously homeless who got into like 10 colleges. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I really want to put it, but it's not
1: on theme. Does it, it does, it's not on brand. Uh, good for him, though. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, congratulations! Like, that's no. I was frazzled enough applying for colleges, and I had like the white picket fence suburb.
1: Yeah, situation. I, I, know. I got rejected from all of them until they got my test scores.
0: Oh really? <laughs> yeah,
1: and then I was only two because <laughs> I was so lazy in high school.
0: Um, I definitely applied to a school that did not take test scores, mm. so I wouldn't have to worry about them.
1: <laughs> well, well, I kind of needed to.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I did that in grad school, too. I only applied to grad Well, I only applied to one grad school. Yeah. And um, I applied to that grad school because they didn't require the GRE. Right. My math scores.
1: Yeah.
0: non-existent. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I would do really well if it was like count to 10 on your fingers. <laughs> oh, not, right. Math's not for everyone. No. No, it's not. Um, All right. So back to our um, sad sack news of the week. Um, All right. So a uh, corrupt former NYPD detective um, who helped an ex cop friend uh, run a multi million dollar prostitution and gambling ring uh, pled guilty. Oh, is that the one that was up in Queens a couple months ago? Yeah. All right. All right. So our boys in blue. Um, let me see. So, uh, let me see. It was, um, Vice Detective Renee, um, Samaniego, uh, who is working closely with a retired, retired detective, had a $2 million a year, um, scheme running out of, like, beauty parlors, a bodega, uh, eight brothels.
1: Wow. Eight brothels
0: and uh, definitely quite a bit of gambling going on. Uh let me see. So basically um our uh vice detective um was paid $500 um I'm assuming multiple payments of $500. Yeah. Uh to uh tip off the ringleader when the vice department was about to do a raid. Okay. Um so anyway, uh that's let a me lot of, see. That's a lot of tips. <laughs> that's a lot of tips. He faces up to six years, and he's going to be sentenced June 25th. Just six years for abusing his badge? Well, he did only tip him off. Well. I don't know. I'm I'm okay with six years. Yeah. Well, because it was the other guy. It was that the retired detective was the one that was bringing in the women, I think, and 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 really setting it up.
1: I think his wife was involved, too. But anyway, all right. right, Six years, no pension. (laughs) I'll be okay with it.
0: I mean, at least he's g- pled guilty. Well, right. I feel like so many of these situations we see people protect their own, and then just nothing comes of it. Right. So, mm, eh, justice was like kind of served.
1: You're nicer than I am.
0: <laughs> um, and then uh, let me see. Oh, dude, this one on Thursday there um is like this trio of. Teen robbers who are basically just uh running around uh, robbing people um let me see they have targeted seven bronx businesses by smashing the windows breaking open the cash registers they've made off with thousands how okay
1: quick question <laughs> why are you leaving the money in the registers if the doors are locked at night is it at night
0: yeah, I'm assuming so. It's like they're closed, I don't, I, right? Yeah,
1: I. Uh, hmm.
0: But we don't blame the victims. I'm not
1: blaming the victim. I'm just one. <laughs> I just want to know why the money is in the registers.
0: Well, and also it's kind of like if they're really making thousands of dollars off of this, like how many of these places are they hitting up?
1: Yeah, it sounds like they're hitting a few, a, a few a night, right?
0: Um. Yeah, and um, this has been going on for a while, um. But I think that, like, th- so they've been doing this since April 22nd. Okay, a couple of weeks. And I think that, like, Thursday is just like the latest. The police are really making a push for any information. Sure. And, um,
1: do they put out, uh, snapshots from the, from the.
0: My notes do not indicate any descriptions. Okay. Um, I think they're young hooligan types. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you don't say.
0: Um, and let me see. They've been targeting Woodlawn Heights. Okay. And if you have any information, you know, like if your neighborhood kid is like throwing down hundreds on the table and not telling you where he got it. And he don't have a job. Yeah. So call Crime Stoppers at 800-577-TIPS. Uh, or uh, if you feel more comfortable giving your tip in Spanish, you can go to one eight 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 five seven pista p i s t a. All calls will be kept confidential. I'm sure the police will really appreciate it, as will probably traumatized bodega owners. <laughs> <laughs> Poor souls. Yeah. They work so hard. They do. They really help everyone out. I love my bodega. And then, oh man, last Friday, this Friday. Is this one hits me in the feels because it involves dogs? Mm-mm. So, prepare. Trigger trigger alert. But it's not that bad. Okay. But it's kind of bad. All right. Um, so, uh, apparently, I guess it's like building owners or some like angry vigilante citizen has been putting thumbtacks in the grass where dogs do their business to hurt their little paws. What a dick! I know. Oh. Like where else is your dog supposed to go? What a dick! And I mean, I get it. Dog poop's annoying. It smells bad. Whatever. But I mean, I like my my friend has the cutest little like fat beagle named Baron, mm-hmm. and he's all the time like putzing around in those little um like tree planters. Mm-hmm. They're getting their paws stuck with these stupid safety pins all over. Is this is this a battle
1: because the Dog owners aren't cleaning up after do- after their dogs.
0: I'm assuming it must be, but my God, like this is escalation. Like hurt the owner, not the pupper. I don't know. I
1: totally agree. I think it's, but it's a t- <laughs> it's a dick move not to clean up after your dog. But the tax are a little little over the top. Yeah,
0: yeah and the it, dogs get like infections or you know that's like no good. Don't yeah. do that.
1: Yeah. Animal abuse. Mm.
0: I know. I read that and I was like upset. It's like we talk about killing people and then we get to this one and I'm just imagining all these like little lumping Please do anything to anybody. Um and they also don't know they're not supposed to pee there. Right. Anyway, um so uh this is um in Queens. Um the there were like three beds found in front of this apartment complex, the corner of Hoyt Avenue and 23rd Street. Uh, cops are reviewing uh, security cameras, trying to get more information. Beds you can read hmm?
1: three beds,
0: three uh tree beds. Oh, tree beds. Okay. Yeah. Um, you can read more about that in the Daily News. Yeah. So, like, when you're walking your dog, just scan over it, and you know, maybe with your foot, like, with your shoe, check to see if there's any. Anything. How, yeah, just
1: go to a different block.
0: Yeah, I don't know. That's really go to a worrisome. dog park. Yeah. I mean, I know we don't have time
1: to do that, but and I speak as a non-dog owner, but but I would just avoid it, go to a different block.
0: And then, uh, so I have a couple of uh, throwbacks too from uh, last week. Um, Let me say, so uh, last Saturday, a 32-year-old man was shot and killed Uh, after an argument outside of a Brock's apartment. And um, this was around like 12 a.m., 1.30 a.m. So, you know, it's like late at night. Who knows? There might have been drinking. Um, And so the victim, Corey Mitchell, uh, was 32. And um, basically they just came upon him like crumpled up on the ground. Mm -hmm. Uh, So everyone says that There was some sort of, like, arguing, but no one really knows what it was about. No arrests have been made. There's very little information. Again, and then let me see. uh, So this happened on East 224th Street um, near Paulding Avenue in Edenwald. And so, like, if you live around there and if you've heard anything that you think could help police, uh, could help Corey Mitchell's family, um, again, please call Crime Stoppers at 800-577-TIPS. Or 88857 Pista. That's always sad. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then this one. <laughs> that face. I love that face. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so basically, there's a group of guys who have been trolling around, jumping Orthodox people.
1: <sighs> okay.
0: Um, and then, of course, this is the latest in a long string of Anti-Semitic hate crime attacks that have we've been talking about the entire year that we have been doing this show. I feel like yes. once a month we have a hate crime.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: Um, so you know, like, do better, <laughs> Brooklyn. There's no need for this. Uh, so the 42 year old victim uh was wearing his Orthodox outfit. He was walking down Broadway near Lynch Street in Williamsburg. Mm-hmm. You know, like a home base. And four men just, bam, piled on top of him, One fifteen a.m. Uh, so three of the suspects were described as Hispanic and in their early tw- 20s, wearing all black. The fourth suspect is a uh, black guy in his early 20s, wearing a gray sweatsuit. I don't like know. I feel like this is a very generic <laughs> description. Yeah,
1: it sounds like they're, the way they're describing it, So it sounds like they were just out trolling the neighborhood to cause trouble.
0: yeah. You know, I mean, and then just came across this guy. Yeah. Um, now three days earlier and half a mile away, uh, another hate crime occurred where a man just ran up and slapped an Orthodox man. Um, he knocked his hat off. That's like a pretty hard slap, I think. Yeah. Um, now fortunately the victims of these attacks are fine, although probably very shaken up mm-hmm. and angry. Yeah. And super angry. Um, Now, again, like the police are looking for the perpetrators of both of these crimes, Um, you know, like Crime Stoppers tip line, if you have any information. I also have some data about the increase in hate crimes over this past year. Uh, As of last week, uh, the NYPD have been fighting a 67 percent increase in 2019 alone Mm -hmm. compared to last year. Mm -hmm. I believe it. 67 percent increase. Yep. I was shocked. I did not realize that it had spiked to that degree.
1: I I believe it. There's so much hate floating around right now. There's so much divisiveness and hate, and you know, and there's a and historically you see these you know people groups of people that they're they're going through a hard time and they get angry and they need to take it out on someone, so they take it out on another group, like yeah. a, you know that they see as it's it's the shit rolls downhill kind of theory that you see in and, and
0: just violence all over, really, yeah, yeah, you hear about people punching down, yep, oh, so anyway, that is my um depressing, yeah, news. the depressing news of the week, um anything else you'd like to comment on or mention?
1: Um, I did see that there was news on that cop that strangled Eric Garner. Did you get anything on
0: that? Uh, we talked about him last week that the court, someone was trying to pull a fast one and like they threw out a witness.
1: Yeah, I think the CCRB, I think someone moved to have the CCRB not included in the trial. And I think the judge.
0: What CCRB?
1: It's the internal I think it's the internal police investigation arm.
0: So basically they're just trying to get rid of any and all evidence.
1: Yeah well the judge ruled that the the CCRB can stand within the case. So, I And I don't know what that means but I just wanted to see if you had read anything about it because I no, saw it No I when saw I was a headline
0: but I, I thought I was referring to last week and yeah. I just didn't look further into it. Yeah. Okay. Um. It's amazing that all this Eric Gardner stuff has lasted so long. It's been what, five years? Five
1: five years. His poor mother, I'm sure, is having a full on breakdown at this point. Like, give the give the man some justice. Give the family some justice.
0: And it's so clear what happened. Yep. You know he's an illegal chokehold to take him down for
1: selling Lucy's.
0: Yeah, that whole situation was just so inappropriate. I've bought Lucy's. I'm sure you've probably bought Lucy's. I've
1: bought a lot of things. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's not the thing that really bothers me is that it is not a death sentence to do a lot of illegal things and it, was, it should not be death was, sentence. What he
1: was doing was a, it was a it was like a cla- low class misdemeanor
0: like if you sh- get a ticket.
1: Should have just got a, a ticket. Yep.
0: And I don't know why these police are so scared if that is like a genuine fear that they have
1: uh, you know? I, I, don't, I don't I think that was just Pure brawn and um, look—you know—give a ma- little man a little power, kind of thing.
0: It's just so toxic, in my opinion. Yeah. Um. Speaking of toxic people, hey, hey, Robert Durst,
1: isn't he a gem?
0: <laughs> oh my god! All right. Um. So it was really fun preparing for this episode because we just basically just watched the Jinx and
1: yeah, I just watched the Jinx again. <laughs>
0: Listen to a, what was that podcast called?
1: Oh, uh, Generation Y, episode 115.
0: They have a great episode. They have a few sound issues, um, as I'm one to talk, but...
1: They actually did that episode right after The Jinx had come out. So I wanted to get, like, some... Sort of fresh, uh, fresh eyes on it to see what they had to
0: say. It was a good uh, overview because the Jinx does not. It's a good. It's told more narratively, mm-hmm. whereas uh, the podcast is more chronological. Mm-hmm. And they put in some like really bizarre hearsay type details that the Jinx probably couldn't get to. Yeah, they didn't.
1: There's a couple of things that they didn't actually even touch. I don't think like the disappearance of that 18 year old.
0: Yeah, it's funny. It's like wherever Robert Durst goes, someone just magically drops dead. Yeah. Yeah. And so why don't we start is, out by talking about, like, is Robert Durst a jinx? Like, why that name?
1: Well, in the documentary, he calls himself a jinx because he he was talking about whether or not he wanted to have children. And he thought he would be a jinx towards any children that he brought into the, or his Wife Kathleen had brought into the world, and it was in, under that guise. But clearly, the documentary maker had a different idea, because every time he breezes through a town, someone ends up dead.
0: That's quite the change. <laughs> Literally breezes through. <laughs> I promise, I'm in San Francisco. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I'm in Madrid. <laughs> that part was don't tell so funny. In Ma- <laughs> He's like, "Don't tell him I'm in Barcelona," and the the director's like. He told me they were in Madrid. You were in Madrid. Okay, so for people who haven't watched the Jinx, basically, they're trying to pin Robert Durst down for this, like, one super integral interview. Last
1: final, too. It's like yeah. A, it's the wrap-up interview, I think.
0: Um, For Durst. Mm-hmm. And uh, he keeps on pointing it off and pointing it off and not wanting to talk. And the director is, you can see the panic in his eyes, like, do we even have a story if we don't get this one piece? Right. And so uh, at one point, Durst is like, well, I'm going to Spain. I've planned this vacation for a while. I'm going to Madrid. And the director's like, okay, you know, um, let us know when you get back. We'll we'll be in touch. Mm -hmm. And then one of the other sources that the director's talking to goes, oh, yeah, Robert told me when he was in L.A. that he told you guys that he was in Barcelona and to not let you guys know he's actually in California. Right. And the director's like, he told us he was in Madrid. He could not even uh, remember this. City. I
1: mean, you know, if you're gonna lie about shit, you just gotta have to you gotta remember a lot of shit. You know.
0: So just as like a character sketch
1: of Robert Durst. I mean, he's the. Re- I mean, it's, he's so ridiculous. He's so ridiculous.
0: <laughs> it's amazing.
1: <laughs> we wanted to do something a little more lighthearted today. <laughs> this is it. <laughs>
0: All right. So, Robert Durst looks a little frog-like.
1: He's a, he's a small man, you know, about 5'5" five, five to 5'8", five, I would say. Wafy, kind of uh, thin. Um
0: Someone described him as kind of like this like harried librarian type a little bit. Someone who like has trouble working Google.
1: He doesn't understand how anything works. <laughs> and he got caught on a hot mic twice.
0: And then, of course, like even some of his actions are just so Robert Dursty, <laughs> and you hear that so often. People be like, "Oh, that's just Bob being Bob."
1: I know. It's like, oh did, no, that's not that doesn't make it
0: okay. Like truly eccentric millionaire.
1: Um. So I, I after I watched it, I did do a quick, uh. Google search for any news that might tie into the story. And after the documentary came out, his brother Doug gave a interview with the New York times. Mm -hmm. And he, in that was explaining that uh, Bob has the penchant for peeing in everybody's waste baskets at the office. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) and then shortly after you know, I read that. I was also listening to Generation Y, and there was a t- thing where he got caught peeing on candy. He got arrested for peeing on the candy rack at a CVS or something. Oh my
0: gosh. It's like, and,
1: and then everybody's like, yeah, that's just what he does. I'm like, no, that's not.
0: Curb <laughs> That's your, not just what anybody Curb does. your durs.
1: Curb your durst. <laughs> Maybe these people should start putting thumbtacks around the waistbands
0: to avoid All right, um, so this is a good segue into my story. Okay, so I have a friend, Kristen, who okay, so Robert Durst um, lived in Galveston for a while to kind of escape the hubbub.
1: Let's talk about that when you are done with your story, because this part is my favorite. Yeah, okay, it's my I'll favorite. leave
0: that. Um, uh, Galveston is, um, kind of the Long Island equivalent to Houston. Okay. Houston, giant city. Galveston is kind of like this little beach town that's just on the coast. It's like 40 minute drive to downtown Houston. It looks if you beautiful. don't hit traffic. Mm-hmm. It is sometimes beautiful.
1: <laughs> well, just like any other place it has its-
0: <laughs> It's, it's like, um- Neighborhoods. It's definitely a local hangout. Yeah,
1: it's also been described as kind of like the end of the end of the world, where people go and hide.
0: Yeah, I can see it very easily. It has kind of this um, like small town feel, where everyone's kind of on the same level. You know, like they have some probably quite wealthy families who might have places in Galveston, but it's very like leveler. Mm -hmm. You know, so I can see why Robert Durst was attracted to it. Um, but he had an he had a condo in Houston, okay um over near a coffee shop that my friend worked at. and so apparently he would come in all like bug eyed loosey goosey, whatever. He was a
1: total stoner
0: and there were only um two baristas at that coffee shop that he liked mm-hmm. and um so he liked my friend Kristen. and so if she, she was in the back and he walked in, he would refuse to order until they brought her to the front. Because he, like, didn't trust anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. He'd be like, no, get Kristen. I I want Kristen. She's like, okay. It's like, hey, Bob, how are you doing? And she's, like, making small talk with, like, this murderer.
1: A pair of dead eyes across the counter.
0: And apparently he would go in there, and what he would want is just kind of, like, a cheese sandwich. But I think it's because all their sandwiches were pre-made or something. They would only have, like, the turkey with the tomato and the lettuce and everything. Yeah. So he'd be like, I'd like a turkey sandwich, but I would like the turkey removed. I would like the lettuce removed. Is there mayo on it? Yes, there's mayo. Okay. uh, Could you you scrape that off for me? And he would just order a sandwich with everything on it, take everything off of it until it was just like one thing. Cheese. And she said that it was always such a crazy process to watch him order because he'd always get a little bit confused about this like every time he came in. um. And apparently, I think that he like invited the baristas to like a party once, and just like nobody was.
1: Oh dear, oh god, <laughs> I I'd want to go. I totally want to go to this party. Would you? I mean, no. <laughs> I totally would. I mean, I wouldn't want to go by myself, but I would go.
0: But like she, the way she described him was as someone who is just very particular and who cannot tolerate things not being his way. Hey, rich guy. Well, and then when I watched The Jinx, I could visualize this, this setup of this weird interaction about this dumb turkey sandwich. Yeah. You know, like that is totally something that he would do.
1: Do you think he was going to do all of that with the turkey sandwich he swiped from the store at Wegmans?
0: Oh, yeah. Um, (laughs) I had to ask. he, He likes like the turkey seasoning, but he doesn't want any of the meat actually on it. Right. Uh, yeah, why don't you share that pretty wild moment with us?
1: Well, I mean, when he was on the run from, from Galveston, he got arrested in, I think it was Pennsylvania for stealing a cheese sandwich and a box of band-aids. And here he had like $30,000 in cash on him at the time. So.
0: Do you think he wanted to get caught?
1: Um, I don't know if he wanted to get caught, I think, um, I don't know if you remember the size of. The bags of weed that were pictured in the documentary—that's a lot of of pot to be smoking. And he, I think, I think he's, I think he was on a, I think his lucidity had gone. Like he
0: just think he was so high that he just, just saw this sandwich and went for I it. I just
1: think he, there was no rationalization for it. I don't think he wanted to get caught.
0: It's just he just none of his decisions make sense. No, um. Oh, and what was that thing about his, uh, with the dogs?
1: Oh, yeah, I got that off of Generation Y, too. They were telling, they were saying that his brother had made claims that he had seven, um, Alaskan Malamutes, which are kind of like huskies, all named Igor, and he was practicing, I know, all named Igor, um, and he was practicing dismembering them because they all just randomly disappeared um and this happened like 6 months before his wife disappeared. Uh, like, and like this w- <laughs> seems like a stretch.
0: And then at to one me. point Robert Durst was like,
1: "You're not you're going to tell me that he this guy this guy had seven dogs and they all randomly disappeared and it wasn't a bigger thing?"
0: Well, my favorite part was at one point Robert Durst was caught on tape saying like, "Maybe I should Igor, my brother." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just the idea of well, his
1: brother made the statement, so part of it is like maybe he's he's just in his you know. That's another thing his brother said in the New York Times article is he's been talking to himself for years. Oh my god! <laughs> he's been mumbling to himself for a really long time. So these you know these hot might statements may not be out of the ordinary.
0: I did read something kind of sad that when he was twelve, they ran a psychiatric evaluation on him and they said that he uh, was exhibiting early stages of schizophrenia. Oh, I didn't read that. It's unsure how accurate that is. Um, I don't think that psychology back then was all that useful. I think a lot of it was like, we don't want this person around, so we're just going to kind of tuck you away somewhere.
1: Well, I think that's I think that's very true. And I think if you read the news article about how his mother died, they say she fell off the roof. Like, why the fuck was she on the roof in her nightgown in the first place?
0: Yeah, so why don't we start from the beginning now? Okay, and really go through Robert Durst's life. Okay, now that they have context for how just truly like bizarre. Okay, this person is. All right. Um. Yeah. So Robert Allen Durst was born in 1943. Um. He's not the son of basically a New York real estate mogul named Seymour Durst. They they're um like the managers of the World Trade Center.
1: Now they are. Yeah. Yeah. D- Doug is
0: like. like yeah. His family is just fabulously wealthy. Yeah. I've actually walked past his brother's house, his condo, yeah, on the upper east side. Huh. And it's like they have the type of wealth that people can't even conceptualize. I know.
1: I know. And it's not just on paper. <laughs> Mr. Trump.
0: Um so um yeah, since you brought up his mom, what happened there? So he
1: says in the documentary, he says, Robert says, Robert says that his dad called him over to a window when he was seven and he was like, look, wave to mommy. She's on the roof. Wave to mommy. She's and it's on the night roof. and it's nighttime and it's November. Right. And he's waving to his mom and he's waving to his mom and he goes, he's like, OK, I'm going to bed now. And the next thing you know, he, he said he says the next thing I know, I hear the housekeeper screaming. She's off the roof. And it didn't dawn on him as a seven-year-old, as he says, why his mom was on the roof in a nightgown in the middle of winter. Um,
0: Now, his family, like, vehemently denies that it was suicide. Yeah. They said
1: she was... They say she was disoriented from her asthma medication.
0: So I think it's safe to say that she...
1: She may have been disoriented from some medication... Or a combination of medications, but uh I am a little suspicious.
0: Yeah, I think it's probably safe to say that she died by suicide. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'll go on a limb
1: <laughs> with with everything I saw in in the Jenks and the, what I heard on Generation Y. I'm just gonna be. I'm gonna yes, I mm-hmm. agree, I agree.
0: And uh, so Robert's brother has said that Robert never saw his mom that night. None of that happened. Robert's just delusional. Who knows? Regardless, I'd imagine that that is an incredibly traumatizing incident.
1: Well, here's the thing. Even if it didn't happen that night, his mom died when he was seven. Yeah. That in itself is traumatizing enough.
0: And then his family, the way that they handled it was not great. Apparently, his dad was just very distant with the children like, nothing at all changed. Like, it's like his mom was the caretaker, and she disappeared, and then there just wasn't a caretaker.
1: Right. It's a, it, when I was processing all of this information about it, I'm like, this is just a really stereotypical, rich way of handling a trauma. Ignore it. Ignore it. It'll go away. Don't talk to anybody about it.
0: And once Robert Durst uh, gets pegged for these murders, that's how they handle it, too. Mm -hmm. Um, Actually, I was really impressed that the Jinx did this, but they talked to um, the uh, niece of Durst's wife, who was killed, and then Robert's nephew. So they're both kind of the same age and in kind of the same position, but on both families. Mm -hmm. And um, the nephew was saying that it is very frustrating for him that his family... Refuses to acknowledge what happened, and it's almost as if Robert Durst has been completely written out.
1: Written out, and there's a wall of silence. Yeah, yeah.
0: <coughs> um. All right. So Robert watches his mother die, or at least is around when his mother dies. Mm-hmm. Um. He he grows up. He gets a degree in economics. Uh. And he's. It sounds like he's kind of set up to be the head of the Durst organization which is not really something that he was ever interested in it right. sounds like yeah. um they say kind of that like the peen and the trash cans was he was just antagonistic
1: well he he opened a health food store first up in vermont with kathy and his dad came to him and said i need you to you know to take you're the you know old oldest son it's time for you to take over. So they moved back to New York and he said he didn't want to move back to New York or Mm -hmm. take over the business. So peeing in the trash cans was an act of pure rebellion? Probably not, but in line.
0: Yeah. And then, um, so Robert and Kathy's marriage. Mm Mm-hmm. They get married in the 70s. Well,
1: yes. It it has been reported that they moved in like uh, like less than a week after they met she moved in to help him with the health food store mhm is that yeah and then and then i get married
0: and uh <coughs> things start to go south <laughs> mhm uh and then coming up with uh the idea of the jinx at one point i think she said that she was thinking about children and robert Durst got very upset mhm
1: uh, yeah, it was, uh, she had accidentally gotten pregnant and he, before, even before they were married, he says that he told her that he didn't want children because he would be a jinx to that mm-hmm. kid. And he didn't want to be a dad anyway.
0: Yeah. I think that for him, he just thought that the same thing would happen to his own new family as what happened when he was a child. I
1: think he just knew how fucked
0: up he was. The one moment of self-awareness. Yeah. in Robert Dear's life. <laughs> yeah. Right. uh, Anyway, so they don't have any children. Uh, Kathy applies for medical school, which is super badass. Mm-hmm. And so she is going to, I think it's called like Einstein College, Albert Einstein College of Medicine in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. I have a friend going there. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. And she's like badass going through school. And uh, they have an apartment in the city. And then they have, they call it a cottage. But how much of a cottage can actually be? Um, kind of out in Long Island. I'm guessing
1: I, kind of Westchester. It's, it's called Salem. The town. The town's called Salem, right? Yeah. Okay.
0: And uh, so they're kind of like living back and forth between these two places. Mm-hmm. And during the week, um, when Kathy's in school, she stays at their apartment in New York City. Anyway, uh, so the night. Oh, and there was some escalating violence between yeah. them. There was some
1: esca- escalating domestic violence in the in the relationship on the part of. Robert
0: and she actually had to go to the hospital at one point
1: point. Mm-hmm.
0: And, uh, and all her
1: friends knew it and knew how terrified she was of him
0: yeah and uh they believe that she also asked for a divorce shortly before she was killed which is very in line with uh domestic violence situations where the violence uh really spikes when um there's like an imminent breakup yep
1: it's the most dangerous time in yeah. a relationship right
0: And uh, yeah, so uh, she was like at a party and Robert says that she was quite drunk when she got home Mm -hmm. and she's very insistent that she needs to go into the city Mm -hmm. and she's trying to take the car and Robert's like, no, I can't let you drive. You're wasted. So he takes the keys from her and drives her to the train station and he says that's the last time that he sees her. Right. But he says that he called her
1: from a payphone later and she had made it to the city. Which was that fact is also disputed by a number of other claims that he made about phone Mm -hmm. calls later on. But that is that is true. And then the doorman originally said to someone that he saw Kathy enter the building, which also turned out to not be be true. Yeah.
0: Yeah. In the police report, he says he didn't see her. So I don't know why he would have told anyone that he had. Who knows? Who knows who Robert's trying to sneak 20s to? Yeah. Hundreds. Um, so Kathy's friend actually first reported her missing and then her Kathy's college even called Robert and said that she hadn't shown up in a few days. Mm -hmm. Uh, but the police were telling her friend like, oh, well, let's wait to hear from the husband, you know, like if they are going through a divorce, there's a chance that maybe she just took off. Okay. Okay. It's not like she's one semester from graduating medical school. (laughs) Um but in Robert's family too is very hush hush and just telling him like stay out of this as much as you, as you can.
1: Yeah, don't it'll like, it'll besmirch the family reputation.
0: Yeah, like don't talk to the cops, don't report her missing, just sit on it. But you know then finally he just has to because too much time has passed.
1: Too much time has passed and too many people are asking questions as why is he not doing anything, right?
0: But then you look at the investigation when it finally does start. What investigation? Well, exactly. And um, so then Kathy's sister and her friend actually break into their cottage in the quote-unquote countryside. And it's been, like, ransacked three weeks after she's missing. Robert has thrown away all of her stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they stole the... (laughs) (laughs) You see that image of them stealing the garbage? (laughs) But there's just, like, there's just... The investigators just don't find anything. So this is put on hold. Yeah. Well, they didn't...
1: It was said that the investigators didn't even try and interview the Dursts.
0: At all. So. Anyway. um, So then it's like many years later. Oh, and they reopen it in 91. Ten years later.
1: Was it 91?
0: Yeah. Okay. Um. So then when police reopen it, uh, Robert has a good friend named Susan Berman who is a writer. And uh, her dad was actually in the mafia. And so she would write about her experience of kind of growing up in this weird Las Vegas mob-style household Mm -hmm. and her own experiences. Uh, So she's kind of helping Robert manage the press because she feels more comfortable with it and they're very close.
1: Yeah, well, him out in front of a camera is no bueno. (laughs) No, he's not... I'm not
0: even sure if he would follow a teleprompter. (laughs) I don't think he could, you know. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, um... So, Susan's, like, really helping him out, uh, but she's also having a hard time managing her money. She's kind of in destitute. So, Robert periodically would write her checks.
1: Well, they were, yeah, they've been best friends since since college. Yeah. So, there's a a really deep front. What he says is a deep friendship there.
0: But even her friends were like, yeah, they definitely were together a lot. And her
1: stepchildren Mm -hmm. who were interviewed.
0: Well, anyway, Susan magically turns up dead. In 2000. In 2000. it's a gunshot to the back of the head. At
1: Christmas time.
0: And so talk to me about how the LAPD...
1: Well, at first they thought it was a mob hit, is what what the documentary said. So they think it's a mob hit, and they're not actually... You know, they're not really... uh, Attributing it to to Durst at all. Um,
0: And they find... The way that they find her body is... Strange.
1: Yeah. She's flat Akimbo on her back um in a pool of blood.
0: Well not only that back door uh, wide open. But the police were tipped off to look for a body because oh, they got yeah. this letter.
1: The cadaver letter.
0: So they got this letter that is like one, two, three, four, um
1: Cherry Tree Lane. Whatever <laughs> whatever. Yeah, Cherry
0: Tree Lane, Beverly Hills. Beverly is spelled incorrectly. They add, like, an extra E instead of L-Y. Mm-hmm. Beverly Hills, 90210, whatever. And uh, and the inside of the note just has an all-caps cadaver. Yeah. So the police were like, let's go see, and they find her body. That t- becomes important later. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, like, Robert Durst at the time was, like, piling around Northern California. He doesn't show up at her funeral, which is super bizarre, but the police never really look in his direction.
1: No. Um no they don't not and not at that time no they don't
0: alright but he's getting a ton of press because um, the investigation the renewed investigation with his wife is kicking up his best friend is killed he's just kind of he feels I think like the walls are closing in a little bit mm-hmm. so he runs off to Galveston.
1: Galveston this is my favorite part of the story take it away okay so he moves up to, <laughs> as I can with this so much he goes to Galveston. He wants to. He he says in the documentary, he's like, "I don't want to be Robert Durst anymore. I'm just going to go hide for a while." And I'm like, "Suspicious, um, okay." But then he so he signs this lease for this little house, this double bungalow kind of house, um, as a mute, deaf woman named Dorothy Signer, and he pays in cash for the year, and he lives across the hall from Morris Black.
0: And he has like this wig and he was wearing like a moo moo.
1: Yeah, a wig and a, uh, a lady's handbag and a couple of white button down shirts.
0: Oh, I thought he had a dress. I think I'm he confusing it with Rice Development. He
1: might have had a dress. I mean, like, he's <laughs> just like, I went to Walmart and bought a couple things, you know, like. Women's clothes. Yeah. So, you know, he eventually stops wearing the women's clothes and he makes friends with Morris Black. And they're supposed to be like buddies, best friends, getting high and drinking jack daniels <laughs> um and he and just testifies he's like yeah we'd watch wall street week together <laughs> i'm like morris black watching wall street week i
0: don't know maybe that could be a thing um and it's like also houston i think to some degree is a little bit of an eccentric city
1: Okay, I've never been, so tell, um, me little, tell me a little bit about that.
0: Okay, so I'm I'm from there. Yes. Um, And, like, I totally know people who are kind of like that, where you will have some people who are very rich, who just want to, like, wear their Hawaiian shirts and their khaki shorts and mm-hmm. their old men, mm-hmm. and they just kind of want to, like, sit with their buddies and, like, drink and, like, watch TV. I know people like that, too. And so it's kind of like hearing about like Robert Durst in Galveston in this little bungalow with his next door neighbor is like odd but characteristic enough, I think, of the area that people would totally like roll with it. Yeah. The wig thing's a little suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite part.
1: Um so but and so Moore's Black had has been described by the local community as a little cantankerous. He's that so when I was listening to it last when I was re-watching this last night, I had like this vision in my head of like grumpy old men gone wrong, <laughs> you know, so what ends up happening is that and durst this is this is durst's te- testimony um uh, in the subsequent trial um they get into an argument because he says he came home to find. Morris Black in his apartment uh, without his consent. Mm-hmm. And this is Texas. Yeah. So they get into a scuffle as, as these like they're I don't know how these two old men can scuffle, but they do. And um, Morris ends up on the floor and the gun accidentally goes off.
0: So he's arguing self-defense.
1: He's arguing self-defense.
0: And an accident. Uh, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So then he said, Robert
1: says he he panics and uh, dismembers Morris Black and throws all the parts into Galveston Bay, hoping they'll sink. Now well, this, he
0: puts them in trash bags. He puts them in trash bags. And he just yeah. throws them into the water. An arm weighs like four pounds. That's not very...
1: No, I know, but the problem is is they may have sunk eventually had he not- t- put them in the trash bag because of all of the air keeping everything afloat uh-huh that's there's another evidence that he is completely clueless on how anything works um so and then um he goes back the next morning and he sees all the bags floating around and uh ha- you know The police have a theory, and this is in the documentary too, they have a theory that he pulled the bag with the head out of the water.
0: And disposed of it somewhere else, because that's the most damning evidence is you'd see the shot. It might even have been a similar gunshot wound as what um, what Susan Susan Berman Berman had.
1: right. So, you know, so the police investigate you know, it's not hard to figure out what happens. It's a very short investigation. They they (laughs) they arrest him in his car with the bow saw. Now, he stopped wearing the wig because it was just uncomfortable. He said it was too hot, (laughs) which I kind of wanted him to get pulled over with the wig. But they put him and they have no idea who he is. Like they have, you know, they don't. Yeah,
0: it's Texas. Like they're not keeping track of New New York real estate mogul's son. Nope, they have no
1: idea who he is. So he's in this. This I uh, was. I forgot the cop's name. I wrote it down because I thought it was hysterical. But it's the detective who arrested him. Um, and they're like, "We're going to put you up on two hundred and fifty thousand dollars bail. Do you, do you have that kind of money?" And, and he's and, like, "Not on me." <laughs> and these cops are like okay who the fuck
0: says that (laughs) he calls his wife she wires it down he's out on bail he was in jail for maybe 24 hours 24 hours and then he just takes off with morris black's id so
1: now he's morris black (laughs) and the thing shaves his head i was
0: actually kind of wondering if maybe that's why robert killed him was to commit identity fraud I because they do look kind of similar, I think.
1: I don't think Robert needed to kill him for identity. I think I think Morris found out that he was a rich guy from New York.
0: And was exploiting him. Or and, uh, and
1: was on the run. And I think he backed Robert into a corner is what I think. But... Um, the total wild speculation. Um, but I just
0: wouldn't put anything past him. Like, Robert is not Not rational. And then, of course, we get into the whole sandwich debacle where Robert Durst is on the run. He's driving from Texas to Pennsylvania, stops off at, like, a grocery store and steals
1: a a sandwich. It was a Wegmans. Yeah. Yeah. Steals a hoagie and some Band-Aids.
0: And so he gets extradited (laughs) back to Texas. Yeah. Put on trial. So, okay. So let's talk
1: about that because... Um, I had com- I had watched it and I was so blown away by how poorly the prosecution did. Um, and first of all, Robert hires a uh, legal team were, uh, that he paid 1.8 million dollars for. And then the prosecuting attorney was so arrogant that they didn't tack on any secondary charges. All they charged him with was first-degree murder. Mm -hmm. and they thought it's a slam dunk they didn't get him they didn't put on like mutilation of a corpse destruction of evidence they didn't get him for bail jumping like they could have tacked on like 20 to 30 different charges and they didn't so here we are in trial with this 1.8 million dollar dream team who is claiming self defense and Durst himself testifies to yeah I dismembered my best friend but I didn't kill him it was self defense and the jury got such flack for it, and I was really pissed off that they were getting it because it's the prosecution's fault. It's not the jury's. Mhm. In my opinion. So now he's a free man. He's been completely vindicated, quote unquote. And he can't be retried for murder. Mm-hmm. In Galveston.
0: Yeah. Um It's just it's just crazy. I think we actually need to start uh, wrapping up, which makes me think maybe we could make this even a two-parter episode we and could. finish up next week. Yeah, we could because
1: I can dig into the what's going on in the trial too.
0: Yeah, because we still have like so much more crazy. Let's we do haven't it. even gotten to the end of the jinx yet. <laughs> I know it. Let's do it. Let's do part two next week. All right. Um, we hope that you're enjoying listening about Robert Durst as much as we love talking about it. Um, thank you for listening to Crime Talk BK. We actually have a special song um, that we're going to play just a little smidgen of. <laughs> um, Why did you pick up? Can you tell us a little bit about this song?
1: This is the intro song to the Jinx series. It's by the Eels. And I had not heard of it until I'd seen the Jinx originally. Um, but I do love it. It is so good.
0: <laughs> I can't wait because I actually skipped through the intro. So. Okay. okay. Um. So uh, please tune in next week for Crime Talk BK on Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, We're here every Saturday from 11 a.m. to noon. Thank you for listening. Later days.